Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Duff Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 49. Today's Duff continues on the topic of intrafamilial responsibility, but switches from talking about husbands and wives to talking about fathers and children. We already saw that a husband's obligation to support his wife was presented as an additional responsibility above and beyond that of fathers towards their daughters. Today's Mishnah, about halfway down 49a, spells out that implication explicitly. Ha'av eno chayav bimzonot bito. A father is not obligated to support his daughter. Ze midrash darash Rabbi Elazar ben Azar beyavne. This is a midrash that Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah uh, gave, right? He gave a Devar Torah. Um, before the sages in the vineyard at Yavne, right? Yavne was the rabbinical academy following the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, right? Famous story in the Talmud about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai sneaking out of Jerusalem um, and and negotiating with the Roman emperor or the, the Roman uh, general who was uh, besieging Yerushalayim, right? Saying, give me Yavne. Let, let me keep the rabbinic movement alive even if the temple is destroyed. Turning point in Jewish history. Um, um, to the extent that it was history, but in any case. Um, so Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah um, made this following uh, midrash, it's called the midrash, um, before the sages. Habanim yirshu habanot yizonu. Ma habanim enan yorshin ela la'achar mitat av, af habanot enan nizonot ela la'achar mitat avihen. Children, sorry, not children, sons inherit and daughters are supported. Just as sons only inherit after the death of their father, so too are daughters only supported after the death of their father. Right? He's almost sort of giving a way of the world midrash in which he says, look, sons have a particular benefit. That's called inheritance. And that inheritance only happens after the death of their father. And so the benefit that goes to daughters, which is that they don't inherit, um, unless there are no sons, but they generally will not inherit if, if there there if there are sons, right? But their benefit after the, but their benefit is to be supported, and that should also only happen after the father's death. Now this is really surprising, right? That the that w- w- what there's no obligation for parents to support children. Um, so in fact, let's we'll get into the sugi in a minute, but let's look at first at the Tosefta. Tosefta is a parallel set of Tanaitic rulings, parallel to the Mishnah, um, and the Tosefta takes a totally different, um, totally different tack on this. Um, it says mitzvah lazunet habanot ve'en sarich lomar tabanim that it's a mitzvah. Now here, mitzvah is not the same thing as chova. Mitzvah is different than obligation. Mitzvah sort of means in that colloquial sense, actually, it's a nice thing to do. It's a good thing to do. It's a, it's you know proper behavior, but it's not strictly speaking required. And when we say strictly speaking required, we mean that the court can't force you to do it. Right? When we talk about chiyuvim in monetary matters, right? not ritual matters here, but monetary matters, that means that you can be sued and the court will enforce the suit against you. 
Okay, so presumably a mitzvah you can't be forced to do in court, but it's a morally encouraged thing to do. So it's a mitzvah to support one's daughters, and you don't even have to talk about the sons, right? The sons are obvious that it's a mitzvah to support them. Daughters are extra and above and beyond that, um, but they too should be supported, but again, they can't force it legally. But we have a third position, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka Omer, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka says, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Of course you're obligated to support your daughters, right? And presumably he would say, and obviously your sons as well. Okay, so we see that in the Tanaitic world, the full range of opinions existed. Fathers are obligated to support their daughters, possibly not their sons, although probably. It was a mitzvah, but not an obligation. Or it was totally unnecessary, which is the position of our Mishnah. So now let's pick up with the Gemara right after that Mishnah. 49a. So the Gemara does its normal thing. It reads the Mishnah and it says, I'm going to make an inference from the Mishnah that um, the father is not obligated in the Mizanot, in the support of his daughter. That's what he's not Chayav in, but obviously he's Chayav to support his sons. And then the Gemara says, okay, fine. So now you've established that sons, the father is obligated to support. But when the Mishnah says that there's no obligation to support, it doesn't mean, and therefore forget it about it, doesn't matter at all. It just means there's no obligation, but there is a mitzvah. Okay. And so now the Gemara is going to compare this Mishnah and the Tosefta that we just read, but the Gemara's version of the Tosefta is going to look very, very different. So the Gemara asks, Mani Matnitin, who is the author of the Mishnah? Um, and it's going to give a couple of options of named sages that it thinks wrote this Baraita, this non-Mishnaic source that we saw a version of in the Tosefta. Lo Rebbe Meir, lo Rebbe Yehuda, lo Velo Rebbe Yochanan ben Baroka. It's not either of Rebbe Meir, Rebbe Yehuda, and Rebbe Yochanan ben Baroka. And now it's going to give us the source. Ditanya. Mitzvah lazunat banot kal v'chomer labanim de aske b'Torah, divrei Rebbe Meir. So it's a mitzvah, right, a good thing, but not obligatory to support one's daughters, and all the more so sons, because sons are involved in Torah, and that's what Rabbi Meir thinks. Rabbi Meir thinks it's a mitzvah to support both. Daughters are, are, um, are the harder case to prove. Sons are the more obvious case, because sons are involved in Torah. Okay, great. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, mitzvah lazunata banim v'kal v'chomer labanot mishum ziluta. So Rabbi Yehuda says, no, the opposite, that it's a mitzvah to support sons. That's the easy case, the obvious case. And we can prove from that that you have to support daughters. Why? Because of ziluta, because daughters who aren't getting supported are going to have fewer economic options for support. Um, and in fact, it may turn out that in fact they turn to prostitution, let's say, or they will marry men that they otherwise wouldn't really marry, um, and that will result in degradation for them. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca Omer, and this is the most surprising change from the Tosefta, right? Remember, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca said on the Tosefta, it's an obligation to support your daughters. Here, totally different. So they actually turned Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca into something similar to what we saw in the Mishnah, right? Which is, it's an obligation to support your daughters when? After your death, after the father's death. But during the father's life, neither sons nor daughters get supported. Okay, so the Gemara here, the Bavli, has a totally transformed Breita. It's not the Tosefta. Um, it's clearly based on it, but it's not it. 
Um, and in fact, what it's done is actually construct a whole new Brita, a whole new text, Tanaitic text, based actually not on the evidence we have in the Tosefta, but actually this is the Rushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud's discussion of this Mishnah um, and the Brita that we saw in the Tosefta, actually does exactly this. It says, well, somebody thinks that the sons are, are the central case because they learn Torah. No, the daughters are the central case because they, if they don't get supported, are going to have to turn towards, um, they're, they're going to turn away from Judaism, right? It says in the Yushalmi, Tarbut Ra'ah, they're going to go to a bad culture, right? Um, and therefore, you need to sort of keep, keep them close, and then all the more so the sons. Um, so the Bavli here has totally invented a new Baraita. Um, in any case, the Gemara engages in some fancy footwork to fit the position that it has created, that sons must be supporters and daughters ideally would be into this Brita, right? That position doesn't exist in this Brita, but it manages to get it to fit. Um, but I'm actually going to skip that now because I want to go to 49b. Um, and really, it's sort of a quarter of the way down the page. Um, and we're going to see another perspective on this question of parental obligations to financially support children. Okay, so around 49b, a couple, a little ways down the page. Amar Rebbe Ila, Amar Reish Lakish, Mishum Rebbe Yehuda ben Bar Chanina. So Rebbe Ila said in the name of Reish Lakish, and then who was speaking in the name of Rebbe Yehuda Bar Chanina. Hitkinu, in a place called Usha, where there was a gathering of the sages. Um, in Usha, they made a decree. Shiyehei Adam Zanet Banav et Benotav Keshehin Katanim that a person has to support his sons and his daughters when they are children. Now, that seems crazy to us, right? Why would you not have to do that? Right? Obviously, you have to support your little kids, right? So first of all, you only have to establish law when there's been some social breakdown, right? So before that was actually stated, right, presumably the natural order of things was happening. Parents were supporting their children, right? But remember, this is all about law. And this is all about legal consequences. And this is all about saying, where is there an obligation that can then be enforced by society? Right? So that's what's being established here, that there's now an obligation that the court can enforce on behalf of society, forcing parents to support their little children. Right? And remember, things can get really bad, and you can run out of money. Right? And we're going to have to deal with that. So the Gemara actually asks, Ibailaho, hilchatekavate, oh, ain hilchatekavate. So they actually asked, sort of anonymously in the Beit Midrash at some generation at some point, uh, is that the halach or not, right? Is that the, is that the, the mandatory normative practice? Okay, Tashma. So now we're going to get a proof text. And here, Tashma, unlike normally when Tashma is used to bring a Braita or some source of very high authority, here it actually brings what I'll call a ma'aseh, right? A story, an Amoraic story of something that actually happened. Tashma. This is actually amazing, hilarious, and or sad, actually, folk saying, right? So this case, in fact, came before Rav Yehuda, and Rav Yehuda said, shall you birth a reptile and throw it onto the city dwellers, right? The B'nai Mata, the, the people who live in the city. And there seems to be two things going on here, right? One is um, Yarod, right, this this beast, right, this reptilian beast, right? Um, that could be referring either to the children or to the father, right? And in, I think it's referring to both, right? On the one hand, the father is acting like a, is acting like a reptile or worse than a reptile, right? Even reptiles support their children and you are worse than a reptile. The other thing is that the support 
for the children that now is going to need to be provided by everyone in the city, right, you're sort of biting them in a sense, um, right, in the sense that you are forcing the city to support them when you had this child. Where are you? You need to support the child. So in other words, Rav Yehuda is saying, yes, obviously, <laughs> you need to support your children. Um, and he, he puts a folksy moral cast on it as well. We get another opinion that's very similar. So when they came before Rav Chista and asked him this question, he said, So he says, you know what you should do? You should put a, almost literally a soapbox up in public. You should turn over this asita, which is basically... Um, basically a, 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 a machtesh, like a, um, some kind of large object that you would grind grain in, right? Turn it over in public, stand on it, and say, a raven supports its children, and this man isn't supporting his children, right? In other words, public shaming. Anyone who comes before you and someone says, hey, that guy's not supporting his children, right? Or the children come and they say, dad's not giving us our weekly allowance so to buy it so we can buy food, right? You shame that guy in public, right? So obviously it's an obligation. Now the Gemara does one of its um, sometimes annoying uh, tricks here where it, where it says, oh, wait, what about this raven thing? But just bear with it because I think there's something interesting happening. So the Gemara says, Orva by Ebane, is it really true that ravens support their children? Vahaktiv, we have a Pasak from uh, near the end of the book of Psalms. Livne or Ravasher Yikra'u, right? That God supports the children of ravens, and implying that the ravens' parents aren't supporting them. Right? Now that's obviously a, an overly hyper-literal read, right? But um, the way the Gemara resolves it is a lokashia habachivari habauchme. There are two different species of ravens, white ravens and black ravens, and one of them support one of them feeds their children and the other sort of kick the children out of the nest. Now I don't know anything about birds, I don't know anything about ravens, but I think the Gemara may actually be here um, not just doing one of its annoying hyper-literal uh, kashias, raising a difficulty, but actually making a point, which is say, look, there are different kinds of ravens, there are different kinds of human beings. Some ravens support their kids, some human beings support their kids. Some ravens don't, some human beings don't, right? And that's sort of just the reality of the world, right? So you can sort of shame the guy as much as you want, but it may not actually be effective. Um, and let's just hope that the Gemara is not intending the, the, the species raven color thing to be applying to human beings as well. I don't think so, um, right? Rather, this is, I think, making the point about different kinds of human beings. Some support, some don't support. Shaming may not work. Okay, so let's keep going a little bit. When they came before Rava, Amarlei, he said to them, right, Rava just sort of lays it out and he says, really? Do you want your kids to be supported from charity? Right? Again, it's an attempt to sort of say, look, this is the reality of the situation. If parents don't support kids, the community is going to have to do it. And that's shameful, both in the sense of dignity, and it's problematic because you're putting obligations on the community that they themselves may not be able to uh, to meet fully. Um, so really, parents need to be supporting their children. Okay, now the Gemara makes a very fascinating and extraordinarily important and contemporaneously relevant distinction. V'lo amaran eladelo amed, aval amed kafinan le al korchei, so all of this shaming was only said about a rich man, about someone who's not rich. In other words, 
you need to use moral suasion for people who feel like they don't have enough money to meet their obligations, right? This is a little bit Bill Clinton-esque, right? Workfair, right? Actually, sometimes you need to tell poor people, look, there needs to be incentives for you to actually live up to your financial responsibilities, even when it's difficult. But if the person is rich, then legally we force him to support his kids, right? In other words, the point is you can only use moral suasion on poor people because sometimes poor people actually can't meet their responsibilities and the community is obligated to support them. But rich people, of course rich people need to support their children. And if a rich person tries to get into it, get out of that responsibility, it's not just about moral suasion, it's about actually charging them and taking their money. And they give a story to support that where Rava forced Rav Natan Bar-Ami, and it's interesting, it's another rabbi, right? He forced another rabbi to give 400 zoos to tzedakah. That's double a year's average salary or salary of a day laborer in the in the Talmudic scheme. Um, in other words, Rav Natan Bar-Ami was super rich and he wasn't giving tzedakah. So they forced him to give tzedakah. And there's sort of an implicit kalva homer. If they can force to give tzedakah, all the more so they can force to pay um, they to pay to support their children, right? So what we see going on here is actually the sugya grappling with the painful realities. There's limited resources, there's individual responsibility, and there's the social good, and we have to balance that. Rich people, they never get out of their responsibilities, and we can actually charge them in court and take their money. Poor people, it's much more difficult, and there's a balance being struck here between moral suasion on the one hand and a recognition that all the moral suasion in the world doesn't matter if they actually don't have the money to do it. And at that point, society steps in for everybody's good. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.